Um, good morning, everyone. My name's Mark, if we haven't met. Um, I'm a geological engineer, um, and this is a strange place for me. <laughs> if I knew that uh, preaching might be part of being nominated as an elder, I might have thought differently. <laughs> but God has a great sense of humor and timing and love in his sovereign purposes. And I pray that he will help me today to share the Bible with you. And thank you all for those that have been praying for me. Thanks. Our subject today um, is the gospel, as Pete told us. Over the next four weeks, we're going to look at different aspects of that. And today, um, we're going to look at uh, a specific part of God's sacrifice on the cross. Our, our subject, or um, title of our series, is called In Our Place, which is looking at how Jesus took our place on the cross. As we heard last week, Jesus chose death so that we could have life. In Deuteronomy, we saw how God was showing his purpose for salvation, pointing towards Jesus and the cross long before Jesus came. And we will see more of that today. So please pray with me that God will help us to have a good understanding of the gospel of salvation as we look at his word. Father God, thank you for saving us. As Paul's letter to the Romans tells us, all have sinned and fall short of your glory and are justified freely by your grace. Through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus, help us to have open hearts and minds to understand your word and be moved in our hearts by what you did on the cross. Help us to understand that your hatred towards sin and your great love for us to save us from the punishment we deserve. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for us. Holy Spirit, please move our hearts to rejoice and share this good news with the world around us. Amen. So what is the gospel? Well, we know that Jesus died for us, four words, to save us from sin. That seems pretty straightforward, doesn't it? But why did Jesus have to die? What was God's plan? You got a message, Peter. <laughs> What does it mean for the people of the Old Testament, and what does it mean for us today? To answer those questions, we need a bit of help. And there are four words in the Bible that can help us. There, there we are. Four words that help give us different pictures of what salvation is all about. Propitiation takes us to the picture of what happened in the temple sacrifices. Redemption comes to us from the slave market, where a slave might be redeemed for a price. Justification takes us to the law courts, where a verdict of guilty or innocent might be declared. And reconciliation talks to us about our reconciling with God, restoration of our relationship with him. Each of these words pictures help us to understand more about the cross and what being saved by Jesus means. Today, we're going to look at propitiation. It's probably the hardest one to say. I figured to make a good tongue twister, so I figured, give it a go. Can you say propitiation five times quick? It's a bit hard on the tongue, eh? <laughs> well, that's not too bad. But before we go there, we've got to look at what the bad news is all about. We need to know what we're being saved from. Why, why do we need salvation? 
Salvation doesn't really make any sense unless we know what it's all about. Romans 7:12 tells us that sin entered the world and death came through sin. And in this way, death came to all men because all sinned. So Adam sinned and death came into the world. You had one job, Adam, and you stuffed it. But I reckon if we were in his place, we would have done the same thing. Because our tendency is to sin. Last week in Deuteronomy, we saw that Moses told the Israelites to choose obedience and life. But many went on to choose disobedience and death. That's our natural tendency. Our studies earlier this year through Romans really made it clear that sin is a big problem. Romans 1.18 tells us the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godliness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. The wrath of God is not like when we get angry. You know, somebody cuts us off in traffic and we get all upset. God's anger at sin is actually certain. It's not, doesn't change, doesn't get all of a sudden angry and fly off the handle. God's wrath is never unpredictable, but always certain. The wrath of God is his steady, unrelenting hatred of evil. Romans 2, 5 and 6 tells us, But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you're storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath. When his righteous judgment will be revealed, God will give to each person according to what he has done. Some people think that good things they have done should counteract against the bad things. And on balance, God should let them into heaven based on what they've done. But it doesn't work that way. And the problem is, is that the scale is God's scale. God's scale is perfection. Not how we think of good and bad, but absolute perfection. All sin brings, big or little, separates us from God. Romans 6.23 makes it really clear. It says that the wages of sin is death. The gap in this picture looks pretty small, but actually it's infinite. There's no way that our good deeds can outweigh our bad. Sin creates an infinite gap which we cannot cross, and sin separates us from God. Now, in Habakkuk 1.13, the prophet says, speaking about God, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. God cannot even look on wrongdoing So he can't look on us when we're in our sin. God's scale is perfection. So that is extra bad news. And God cannot just sweep sin under the carpet. Proverbs tells us that acquitting the guilty and condemning the innocent, the Lord detests them both. We know that God is righteous, holy, and good. He cannot ignore sin or hide it. It has to be punished. This is extra bad news for the entire world. We all sin, and God detests sin. So we really need to know what the good news is. If we go back to Romans 6.23 and finish that verse, we know that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So how does a holy, righteous, just God who can't look on sin and detest injustice, save us from death and give us eternal life? Well, the answer is that word, propitiation. Now, propitiation is not only hard to say, but it's not a word that we commonly use. 
Hands up if you've ever heard that word or you know what it means. So we've got a few people that have been to Bible college. <laughs> and the rest of us, it's a bit of a challenge. A few weeks ago, Pete gave us a recommendation for a book by James Packard. His book, Knowing God. And in that book, James Packer says that propitiation is the heart of the gospel. That's a big statement, isn't it? So maybe we should really try to understand it. God's wrath is directed at sin. Ah, Sorry, get the next slide. Propitiation. So what does propitiation mean? Well, this picture isn't perfect, but it gives us a bit of an idea about what's happening. God's wrath coming down against sin. But in our case... Christ has taken our sin on, it, on him, and so Christ is our propitiation. Propitiation means to turn away wrath to something else. God's wrath being directed at sin, but Jesus took that from us. Jesus saves us from our sin. It's sobering to meditate on. God's just and holy punishment for sin was taken by Jesus. Jesus was killed for us. He took our sin at the cross, so that we wouldn't be destroyed. Propitiation has three parts. First, the reason why we need a propitiation. That's the bad news, which we just talked about. Our sin deserves punishment. As I said before, God's wrath is never unpredictable, but always certain. The wrath of God is his steady, unrelenting hatred of evil. Second, somebody has to make propitiation. It's really important to recognize that God took the initiative. We can't do anything to make propitiation. God the Father takes the initiative in his mercy and grace and love. And thirdly and critically, God the Son provides the sacrifice. Hebrews 9.22 says that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And when we go to Hebrews chapter 10, it says, It's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Propitiation needs a sacrifice, but bulls and goats just don't cut it. Jesus was the only acceptable sacrifice for sin. Man sinned, so a man must die. But not just any man, a perfect man. But that still wouldn't be enough. Jonah 2 Verse 9 says, salvation comes from the Lord. Only God can save us. Jesus, who is both God and man, died on the cross, shedding his blood to turn away God's wrath against our sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21 summarizes God's plan. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The picture on this slide shows the high priest in front of the Ark of the Covenant. God was showing his plan for salvation in Jesus in what the high priest was doing. Once a year, on the Day of Atonement, the high priest went into the most holy place where the Ark of the Covenant was and sprinkled the blood of an animal on the cover of the Ark. The cover of the Ark is called the Mercy Seat. And the word for mercy seat can also be translated as the place of propitiation. But what we read in Hebrews 10 is that the blood of bolts and goats cannot take away sin. What the high priest was doing was just a symbol of what Jesus would eventually do in propitiation, 
which God had planned all along. Hebrews 10 goes on to say, Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then I said, Here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, O God. Jesus' death was necessary for the fulfillment of the Old Covenant and the establishment of the New. Jesus came as the ultimate sacrifice of atonement, the propitiation for all sins, past, present, and future. So now that we know what propitiation means, let's go back to our passage in Romans chapter 3 to see how Paul explains it. From verse 23 it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. So you might be scratching your head and saying, well, where's propitiation? (laughs) Well, this is my first time preaching at Arundel. And not only have I given the hardest word to pronounce, but also one that's not even there in the text. (laughs) What the NIV has done is translated propitiation as sacrifice of atonement. The word propitiation is also in 1 John, Numbers, and Hebrews, but is best explained here. That phrase, sacrifice of atonement, gives us two pictures. One is the sacrifice, something um, dying, being given up. And the other is atonement, which the dictionary says is making amends for a wrong or injury. In our case, our sins against a holy God. But as we have seen, the word propitiation also has this third powerful picture of turning away wrath. One of the most important parts of understanding the good news is understanding that God didn't just snap his fingers and forgive us. Sin has to be punished, and the cost is beyond us. Jesus, who is both God and man, died for our sins. In the next verse, Paul tells us some more about propitiation. He said that he did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, he had left the sin committed beforehand unpunished. So God left sins committed beforehand. He didn't judge them. And his propitiation was to show his righteousness. We saw in Hebrews that the Old Testament sacrifices couldn't take away sin. Those those, uh, sins were covered by the symbols of of propitiation, sort of like a promissory note or an IOU from God to God. But the sins were not dealt with until Jesus' death on the cross. Jesus came as the ultimate sacrifice of atonement, the propitiation for sins past, present, and future. Paul also says that the purpose of the propitiation was not just to save us, but firstly to show God's righteousness. Because to be righteous... God has to punish sin. It is clear that propitiation saves us, but it's not just about us. God's first purpose was to show his righteousness because God is just and he has to deal justly with sin. So we've got the bad news that we're all sinners and we deserve death, not because God likes wrath, but because he is just. God wouldn't be just if he didn't punish sin. And the good news 
is that God stood in our place and turned God's wrath away from us and onto himself. So maybe we can take two applications from this. Luke 7:47, Jesus tells us that he who has been forgiven little loves little. So firstly, we need to have a God-centered view of sin and recognize how much we have been forgiven. A good way to check ourselves is to ask what's in our hearts. Are our hearts full of gratefulness and joy in God? Are we focused on how many likes we have on Facebook or our next vacation or our job, the size of our house, our family success? There's so many things that get in the way of seeing the glory of God. And anything that comes first in our lives before God is sin. We may think sins are big or small, but God sees all sin as wrong. Sin can be as subtle as doing something that is good rather than doing what is best. As an engineer, I've spent most of my life working on my career to be the best at my job. I justified this as taking care of my family. But many times, I was putting my job before God and my family. And that's sin. I know that God forgives me, and what Christ did on the cross covers all my sin. But I also want to be changed so that I run from sin and don't let it creep into my life. We need to say sin from God's viewpoint, not how much it angers and hurts God, how much it angers and hurts God, and damages our relationship with God who loves us. A second application would be to recognize that propitiation what God does, has done for us is not all about us. It's firstly about God. God does love us, and Jesus did die for us. But the reason he did that was to bring us to him, so that we would enjoy his glory. My favorite saying outside the Bible comes from the Westminster Catechism, where it says, The chief purpose of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. The greatest joy we can ever have is knowing God and glorifying him. We can fall into the trap of thinking that God is there for us rather than we were created for God. And so when we're asked to give or serve in church or help a neighbor, our first thoughts are usually, do I really want to do this? My first thought about preaching was, no, I don't want to do that. (laughs) But I could see that it would be honoring to God and would help me to grow. And growing in God brings joy. Obviously, we can't do everything that we're asked to do, and we need to use our time wisely. Some good questions to ask ourselves when we need to make decisions are, who gets the glory? And where's my joy? Does God get the glory if I give to a mission, or serve in church, or go on vacation for a rest? Or am I just doing it for myself? Paul says in 1 Corinthians, we need to put God first. Whether you eat or drink or everything that you do, do it all to the glory of God. Am I glorifying God in my job, in my studies, with my friends and family? Am I glorifying God in my hobbies, my leisure time, or all my thoughts about me? God saved us by propitiation for a purpose, to know him, to glorify him, and to enjoy him forever. Let's encourage each other to know God better, to glorify him more, and to joy him now and forevermore. So let's pray. Father God, we glorify you for your greatness 
your perfection, your love, your wisdom, your grace, your propitiation of our sins. We confess that our thoughts of you are sometimes small, and we don't think how you think about sin. The cost of our sin was the blood of Jesus. Help us by your grace to change our hearts, to die to sin, and to live to God. Thank you for the love for us, and help us to love you better. Lord, help us to put you first in our lives, to have you as our first aim to bring glory to you. We are made to glorify you. Help us to do everything to bring glory to your name and fill us with the joy of knowing you. Thank you, Jesus, for taking our sins on you, for bearing the wrath of God on our behalf, for showing us what God's plan's perfect plan is, for being our Savior and showing us the way to know God. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for working in our hearts to change us to be like Christ. All in the name of Christ, amen.